Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. So glad to be with you guys tonight. We are continuing our study through the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 22 tonight. Joshua chapter 22, we're almost done. And uh, we are going to be completing the next couple of weeks. Joshua chapter 22 tonight as well. You're going to be, want to be a few pages to the left, Deuteronomy chapter 13. So once again, Joshua chapter 22 and Deuteronomy 13. Now, if you're married tonight, I want to let you know that your spouse did not call me. Um, I want you to rest assured that um, what we're talking about tonight, I did not receive a phone call. Now, if you are fighting, oh, excuse me, having strong fellowship with your spouse, say sorry now. Just turn and say sorry because you'll feel so much better through the rest of the Bible study. Um, trust me on that one. So I just want to say Joshua chapter 22, Deuteronomy 13, as you're turning there as well, um, you guys are my double dippers, so I can just go ahead and put it out there. We need about 300 volunteers for Vacation Bible School. (laughs) You guys went way too silent. I'm going to do it one more time. We need about 300 volunteers for Vacation Bible School. And I know... All of you are going to sign up tonight. Summer is not the time to check out. Now, some of you go, what can I do? Well, maybe you can be a part of the kitchen staff that blesses the volunteers and makes a little snack for the kids and for the volunteers. Maybe you can be part of the choir, or maybe you want to be part of leading a class, or maybe you want to be the cleanup crew. Maybe you want to fill in the blank. I'm sure all of you will sign up. Amen? <laughs> there we go, Adonis. I'm giving her a shout out. Joshua chapter 22. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer to prepare our hearts before we dig into his word? Lord, we are so grateful for the book of Joshua. It reminds us of the life that we're living here on earth. For truly, we know as we become believers that we enter into the promised land as citizens of the kingdom. And we know in the book of Joshua, it's a book of victory, a book of courage, a book of failure, and a book of success. So as we begin to weave our lives into the context of this chapter, I pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Joshua chapter 21, if you look at verse 45, Joshua 21 verse 45, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel, all came to pass. There's a truth about God's word. It's true. And it's true 100% of the time. And all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And so when God told Joshua, wherever you put your foot, I will bless you. Just don't turn to the right or to the left. 
all of the promise for Joshua came to pass. He was victorious. The land was in his hand and the children of Israel had dispersed the land. And now that the battle is over because of God's great faithfulness, the two and a half tribes that are on the other side of the Jordan, they're on their way back. They have been faithful. They've been loyal. And they have fought along as they committed to Moses. And we're going to enter into Joshua chapter 22 now, understanding the context that all of God's word will come to pass. Now, that's important even when we don't feel like it. So how many of you are married? Go ahead, raise your hand. How many of you are married? Would you say that marriage is equivalent to misunderstandings. Would anyone agree with that? How many of you have been married now and you've never been in an argument? Go ahead, raise your hand. You've never... Lisa. (laughs) I love you, but I know. (laughs) Uh, We have... uh, There was a, a couple that mentored us and her name was Marilyn. And uh, her husband's name, he was from Ireland, his name, um, Marilyn and, oh my goodness, Andrea, Vivian. I was going to say Marilyn and Marilyn, but that was not his name. His name was Vivian, and he was from Ireland. And Andrea and I, when we were newly married, we were discipled by this couple, and I'll tell you why. We had gone out to dinner with them one night, and Marilyn looked at Andrea and said, I have never been in an argument with my husband. And I thought, Andrea has got to get close to this woman. (laughs) We asked their seven children. And she told Andrea she thought she would never get married. So she made a promise to God that if God ever gave her a husband, she would never argue with him. And it was true. Like, she never argued with him. Andrea and I have failed miserably. I don't know what happened to our discipleship. Andrea, we got to resurrect Marilyn. She's gone home to be with the Lord. But marriage sometimes has, well, an equivalent maybe to misunderstanding. In any relationship, there is going to be misunderstandings. This chapter is going to be important for us because this is the word of God and it does not fail. So we're going to learn some things about the problem areas of our life so that we can, well, minister in the midst of misunderstanding. Take a look, Joshua 22, verse 1. Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now remember, these are the tribes that were given land on the other side of the Jordan, on the east side. He said, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you And have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You not only respected Moses, but you respected me. And if you're taking note, I want you to write down, they had a great relationship with the other nine and a half tribes and Moses and Joshua. I mean, these guys have fought together for seven years. Have you ever been in a battle with someone? I mean, these guys are like Vietnam vets. Whenever Vietnam vets see each other, they are automatically brothers. They're automatically brothers and sisters. They are family because they went through a similar trial together. 
I know the people that I went through the war with in Liberia, whenever I see them, it's as if time has not passed and we are go straight back to family. There's something about fighting together. They knew each other. They loved each other. They had each other's back. And there's something about a great relationship that I know that you will know in the context of your own great relationships. Great relationships encourage each other. They encourage each other. Let's take a look. Let's go back to verse 2, if you would. Joshua chapter 22, I'm going to pick it up in verse 2. And he said to them, You've kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. These guys were honorable, and he wants them to know. He's giving them their flower before they're dead. Look at verse 3. He goes on to say, You've not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. He's saying to them, You are loyal. You did exactly what you said you would do. And when the fighting got heavy, when Achan messed up and people were dying, you chose to stay with us because you're loyal and you are faithful. Listen to how Joshua is encouraging his friends, his relationship. Picking it up in verse 4, And now the Lord your God has given you rest to your brethren as he promised them. The war's over. Now therefore, return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses, a servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which, the most, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. Stop there. I want you to see something else. There's no like hoopla. There's no like, woohoo! look what you've done. They're not busting out cake. There's not balloons going off. There's not fireworks. You did your job. You're welcome to go back. He's saying to them, you guys are humble. You guys are a humble group. You're loyal, you're faithful, you're humble, you're not expecting this huge thank you. You just did your duty, you did your job because you're just a faithful person. And so he reminds them, he says, take careful heed to do the commandment of the Lord. Now, stop there if you would. If you're in a great relationship, you should stop every once in a while And give your friend a word of encouragement. Everybody take out your phone. We're going to put it into practice. Go ahead, take out your phone. In church. In church. Now, when I'm done, put your phone away. Okay? Go ahead, take out your phone. Take out your phone if you would. And I want you to think of your friend. And I want you to send your friend an encouragement. Go ahead, I'm going to do it too. I'm going to send my friend an encouragement and I'm going to let them know how much and why I love them. You guys aren't doing it. I'm going to do it. I love you because... This one's going to my wife because I just said something about our marriage. So I love you because... And I'm not going to tell you what I'm about to say. All right, here it goes. Now, did you struggle doing it? Is it difficult for you to send an encouraging word? Is it hard to simply stop and say, thank you for doing this for me? Was it awkward or just because it was in church and I actually asked you to put out your phone? Now put them away. Go ahead, put them away. I want you to put them away. All right, you're still looking at them. I know what Instagram looks like. I can see it from here. We got mirrors in the back pointing down, okay? (laughs) Encouragement. But great relationships... Don't just encourage, 
they also exhort. Take a look at what he says in verse 6, 5. He says, but take careful heed to do the commandment. He's a good friend. I want to give you a success story on how to be successful. And the law which, the most, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God. Sounds just like Jesus, doesn't he? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When he was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? Jesus responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Some of us have been sitting in church for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, and we've got all of this knowledge. I will know your knowledge of Jesus by the display of love I see in your life. And Joshua reminds them of that. And he reminds them and exhorts them that they're to be loving. Now take a look what love looks like to God. To walk in his ways. To keep his commandments. To hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now I know when we come into service and our hands go up and everyone's watching and there we are and everyone looks and says they're so in love with God. Now if you're from the 80s, the way that you show that you're in love with God, your hands go out at 90 degrees, they go up at 45 and you just do it like this. This is the 80s I'm in love with God, okay? Now, in the 21st century, to catch you up to speed, if you really want to show how in love you are with God, we are not the antennas in the 21st century. We are the flappers. And you just do like this and let everyone know that you are in love with God. It amazes me when a new worship song comes out. However they display their love for God, we all become them. Some of you are flappers. (laughs) But that's not how the word of God says is the only way to express our love. And Joshua is exhorting them because he's a good friend. And he says to them, listen, you're commanded by Moses to love the Lord your God. And here's what loving your God looks like. Walk in his ways. He says, loving the Lord your God is keeping his commandments, holding fast to his truth, purposing to serve him with all of your heart, like at, shameless plug, VBS. You see, serving, walking in his way, is the expression of our love. And Joshua's being a faithful friend. Now go ahead and take your phone now. Now think of your friend, and I want you to send them an exhortational text. You'd better change your life. Don't do it. Some of you are already on top of it. Lisa, I can't believe you were texting Gannon like that. You see, great relationships love someone enough if they're going a wrong direction to lead them back into a right direction. We have to not be afraid to offend someone if they're going to walk off a cliff. If someone is just simply going to walk off, are we going to let them? No, a good friend will grab them and give them the truth. There's a cliff if you go that way. And the best advice, an exhortation that Joshua could give his friends was this, love the Lord your God. But as great as their relationship was, we're about to experience something in verse 10. Would you take a look? Joshua chapter 
excuse me, verse 7. Now to the half-tribe, excuse me, to walk in his ways, verse 6. So Joshua blessed them, sent them away, and they went to their tents, verse 7. Now to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan. But to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on the side of the Jordan westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them. They're good friends. And he spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren." So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Everything is happy. You got money, you got gold, you got riches, you got wealth. Like, go back, share. This is so great. Like, God bless you guys. We're in great relationship. Don't we wish that all of life was like that with all of our relationships? And don't we wish that it was always rainbows and chocolate and... Think of your own happy place. I've got ice cream on my heart. Like, don't you wish that every... Did they have Swenson's in California? Did, did Swenson's exist out here? Baskin and Robbins exist. That I know, right? Okay. Heavenly hash. Like, does that bring you to a great place? You and your friends, and there you are. You're having ice cream, and you're sharing your hearts, and you think to yourself, there can never be anything that I would get upset with you with. I love when newlyweds walk in the office and they tell me, we never fight. I say, go back, have a fight, and then come see me. Take a look what happens. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. Now the children of Israel, I've underlined this, heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of Jordan, on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Wait a second. What happened to Kumbaya? What happened to, it's a small world. I don't care, no matter how upset you are and how much money you've spent in Disneyland, as soon as you go into, it's a small world, like everything changes. It's like, you're right, it is a small world. It's a world of love. It's like all of a sudden, something began. What happened? Where did the kumbaya fireside moment go to in a matter of moment? You're ready to kill these people. Has that ever happened to anyone here? Anyone, anyone, it's like all of a sudden you feel the blood boiling from your feet and this person that you love so much, you wish you could just take right out of this world. No one's going to admit to that, will they? Because Christians, we never, oh, we have one honest soul all the way in the back. Because Christians, we never, our blood never boils, does it? When our blood boils, it's like a puff of steam. Like, it's like, you know those little aerators? It's like vanilla. It comes right out, you know? No, no, no. How many of you have been to the point of blood boiling? Like, you could just snap in just a moment. Oh, we got a couple of honest marital people. Okay, great. 
they're ready to go to war. What happened? In just a moment, I'll never forget, I was in Liberia, and I told my good friend, stay in the car. They won't understand your American English. Stay in the car. He looked at me and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and I need to go and speak to those soldiers. And before I could grab his neck and wring it, he was already in front of the soldier. And the soldier looked at him and said, who are you? And he said, I'm a missionary. Well, the soldier couldn't understand his English and he heard mercenary. And I'm listening to the whole thing. And the soldier says back to the missionary, you're a mercenary? And he goes, yes, I'm a missionary. The next thing I know, me, this guy, and another guy get hit on the head with a piece of wood. We are spread out on the pavement in the crucifix position, and we're there for 30 minutes and then get arrested and put in jail for four hours. I looked at my friend. I said, let me tell you what spirit came over you, because that spirit has just come over me, and I'm about to deal with you. All of a sudden, this guy that I loved, I despised. All of a sudden, because of an event, my whole attitude changed towards him. It's amazing to me how an event can change lifelong friendships. I blame it on Instagram. Because you can unfriend anybody whenever you want. And you can let them know, I don't follow you any longer. We can end relationships with the click of a button. And I wonder, do we value relationships? You see, the mark of our faith is that we have loved one for another. And love suffers long. Love is kind. And the problem with human beings is we're not perfect, so misunderstandings are going to happen. But love hopes all things Love doesn't keep the record of wrongs. <laughs> um, Andre and I, we've made a commitment that when we get into an argument, we stay away from the words never and all, like, or always. You always, you never, you, like, the, you, how many of you have ever done that before? It's like, all, <laughs> all of a sudden, everyone's getting super honest, right? Okay, here we go. Our love shouldn't even keep those records of wrongs. But I know I've failed. And so we've got to learn from this chapter, if all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, he's going to deal with every aspect of life, even misunderstanding. And so this chapter is going to help us grasp how do we handle misunderstanding. Paul had to handle a misunderstanding. There's two ladies in the book of Philippians. They're having a real issue. Yodia and Syntyche. And I don't know how you say their names, but I'm from the Bahamas. That's how we do it, okay? Some, some, uh, I was listening to a pastor, Sintiche. I was like, where did you grow up? <laughs> it's like, it's not Target, it's Target, right? <laughs> I shop there too. Um, so you've got a real issue between two ladies. So in chapter, two, in chapter one, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In chapter two, he says, hey, listen, if you have any fellowship, if you have any comfort of love, He said, be like-minded. Chapter 3, he talks about forgetting the things behind and pressing on. Chapter 4, you realize there's an issue in the church, a misunderstanding. 
And he's pleading with these two ladies, would you please come together because it's causing division in the whole church. They had done everything together in the church. Do you know that people leave churches because of people? I don't go to that church anymore because she's there. Who is she? I mean, the way we even say the pronoun, it's kind of like, well, I don't go there anymore. I go to now this church. Do you know that she'll show up there too? She'll just have a different name and a different face, but she'll be there. You know why? Because she's human. And it's amazing to me how quickly we will just leave a church because of problems. The people, I heard a story one time that they found this guy on an island, and there were three buildings on the island. And so they asked him, they go, oh, what's this building in the center? He said, oh, that's my house. Oh, wow. Well, what's this building on the left? He goes, oh, that's my church. Now, he's the only guy on the island. So they asked him now, well, what's this building on the right? He goes, that's the church I used to go to. (laughs) You know why we have so many problems with people? Because we have problems with ourselves. And we project that out onto people. And so here in the church in Philippi, Paul is dealing with an issue in the church because he realizes when there's misunderstandings, if they're not dealt with in the church, it can cause a split. It can cause a division. I know a church in New York City, there was a picture put of the Garden of Eden in the narthex. That's the big word for foyer, okay? In the narthex of the church, Adam had a belly button. And two guys got into a theological argument about whether or not Adam would have a belly button or not. And the church split. You had the belly button Adam people and the non-belly button Adam people. Now, you're laughing at it. Some of you are going, well, did he have a belly button? (laughs) Well, what if I told you he didn't? Well, I'm leaving this church. I'm a belly button person. You're a non-belly button person, so I'm out of here. When love is supposed to be the bond of perfection. You see, we have to go into life knowing that there's going to be misunderstandings. This chapter is going to help us understand how to handle them. I want you to see there's two things right here in this very first couple of verses. One's a positive, one's a negative. Let's look at verse 11. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, heard, they heard. There goes the gossip mill. Oftentimes we call them prayer meetings. I heard. And all of a sudden, everything we read on the internet is true. Well, if you believe that, I've got some land in the center of Florida that I'd love for you to buy, and I'll sell it to you for five bucks. It's called the Everglades. It's amazing to me how hurtful and how bullyish we can be on social media. Because it's so easy just to whip something out and wreck someone's life and heart. Misunderstandings. They heard. And all of a sudden, so-and-so goes and talks to so-and-so, and then all of a sudden, well, did you hear what happened? That's why the Bible exhorts us not to be a part of gossip, not to be a part of slander. But I also want you to see something else because we're going to see something positive that they choose to do. So they hear this and they're ready to go to war. Take a look at verse uh, 12. 
And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war. They're willing to go to war based on something that they heard. They don't even know it to be a fact yet. And we've got to be careful when we get emotional. And we hear something, and it begins to rile us up. Because now you're going to see something positive they do. Let's pick it up in verse 13. Then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the children of Reuben. Now let me fill you on Phinehas. Phinehas is a radical. He is a radical for God. He's the high priest's son. He's next in line. And he had developed quite a reputation. If you're not for God, you die. So they pick Phinehas. They're upset. And they say, Phinehas, we want you to go. Take a look what happens here. They pick Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to, to, uh, the priest to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead. And with him, ten rulers, one ruler each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel, and each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. Okay. Whew. Now we're going to learn something positive from our very angry people. They default the word of God. Go back with me to Deuteronomy. Let me explain. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Would you look at verse, uh, verse 12? Deuteronomy chapter 13. Take a look at verse 12. If you hear, because God knows there's going to be misunderstandings. If you hear someone in one of your cities which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying, Corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword. Stop there for a moment. God knows misunderstandings between human beings are going to come. And he knows it's going to come by gossip and slander. And so he says, if you hear, investigate. Don't get emotional. Don't get ready to go to war. And thank God, our children of Israel, in the midst of this misunderstanding, default the word of God. It's always safe. It's always secure. When you hear something, let me tell you the word of God. The word of God bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. So instead of just going straight to the negative, why don't we think of whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is right? Why not rely on the relationship that you know that you have with that person instead of quickly jump to, we're ready to kill! And all of a sudden, the relationship could be over. So let's see what happens in Joshua chapter 22. There's something else we come to understand. Great relationships will have great misunderstanding. But number three, great misunderstanding can lead to great conflict. Great misunderstanding can lead to great conflict. Let's take a look. It's Joshua chapter 22. I'm going to pick it up in verse 15. Then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. 
What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord in that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is this the iniquity of Peor? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us from which we are not cleansed till this day? Although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord? And it shall be if you rebel today against the Lord that tomorrow he'll be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us, but don't rebel against the Lord nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. All right, Phineas. You defaulted the word of God, but we got a problem. You see, human beings can be hard to get along with. And remember, love hopes all things, but that doesn't seem to be the attitude of Phineas. They're hurt. They're worried. They're concerned about themselves, and they're looking out for number one because they don't want to die. So they're afraid. And acting in their fear, they approach the two and a half tribes. And even though Phineas is being obedient to Scripture in practice, he's not being obedient to the heart of Scripture in character. And he comes on the scene and says, what treachery. He makes assumptions. And let me tell you about something about assumptions. Assumptions cause conflict. If you go into an argument believing that you're right and all you've heard is something, but yet you know it to be true, assumptions will cause conflicts. When you go into an argument already having the conclusion, it's going to cause a conflict. He was so quick to thrive on the negative news. Christians, listen. I know CNN preaches nothing but bad news because bad news sells. But that should not be in the Christian network. We don't thrive on being entertained by bad news. We encourage, we exhort, we believe in each other. We think of whatever is lovely and pure. We are different than the rest of the world. Amen? So he's gone into this argument with assumptions. See, Jesus, when he was helping us deal with conflict in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, he said, moreover, if your brother sins against you, tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. You see, Jesus knows there's going to be misunderstanding. So he says, listen, don't go running around believing everything. Go straight to the source. Find out if it is true. Follow the word of God. And the hope of the communication is that you eliminate assumptions and you gain your brother. You gain your sister. You win over the enemy by choosing not to assume. But he does something else. He calls them rebels. 
He's accusatory. He's accusatory. What treachery have you done against God? You built for yourselves this altar. You might rebel this day against the Lord. Is this not like the iniquity of Peor? Listen to the accusation after accusation. Let me tell you something about accusations. They're just like assumptions. Accusations cause conflict. And I need to remind you of something. Our enemy is called the accuser. So when we walk into conflict with accusations, we're more representing the enemy than we are being the light of God. Accusations cause conflict. Remember, the enemy accuses. As believers, we're to love. We bear, believe, hope, endure all things. He looks at him and says, you're going to bring judgment upon us. He says, remember Peor? Peor? Let me remind you what he's trying to get across to them. You see, Phinehas, he's a warrior. And at Peor, Balaam had convinced Balak to send in the Midianite women because Balaam couldn't curse the people of God. So he came up with a different plan and he said, listen, send the Midianite women in to do a little hula dance or something like that and then uh, kind of seduce the guys and play some music and maybe do something for them and then let them worship the other gods and then God will be against them. And it happened. God broke out a plague because they chose to commit sexual immorality and idolatry with the Midianite women. So Moses comes on the scene and he goes, who's for God? Phinehas goes, I'm for God. Well, one of the guys in the camp, he goes, I like my Midianite woman. And in the midst of all of this, he grabs his woman by the hand, takes her into the tent and says, me and my woman, we're going to go enjoy. You know what Phinehas does? He started the javelin ministry. Let me tell you what it is. It doesn't exist anymore today. He takes a javelin and he goes into the tent with the Midianite woman and the guy. And as they're, you know, whatever, below PG-13, he takes the javelin, goes right through the man, through the woman's stomach, and both of them die. I want to let you know, the javelin ministry doesn't exist at Calvary Chapel South Bay. Let me tell you what he's letting them know. We're here to kill. Don't you forget Peor, and don't you forget what I did. That's why they sent me. So you better come up with a good answer. And I'm going to remind you who I am. You remember what I did. That was me, Phineas. I'm the javelin guy, okay? Here I am. I'm holding the javelin, and we are ready to kill. And I'm making some assumptions. I'm making some accusations. And let me tell you something. I know that you've done it. Really? Phineas, don't do that. He says, let me tell you about Achan. (laughs) You remember what Achan did and how he deceived us and he lied to us? Do you remember what God did to him? He swallowed him up. He's dead, man. He's dead. Him, his whole family, they're all gone. You know what's amazing to me? Do you know that I've been lied to? I've been deceived. Do you know that I've given my trust to people and they've abused it? I'm a broken person. How many of you can resonate with this? How many of you have been lied to, you've been hurt, and all of a sudden you begin sensing that the friend that you're with now is about to do what your other friend did? And all of a sudden 
all of your defense mechanisms go up. Well, I've got to protect myself because they're going to do it. They're going to do it just like Achan did it. They're going to do it just like that guy did it at Mount Peor with the Midianite woman. I know you're going to do it. And all of a sudden, all your defense mechanisms go up and you're going to protect yourself from ever being hurt again. All the while, you are now the one that is hurting someone because this person never intended to do what you're accusing them and assuming that they're doing. You see, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that the pain that we've experienced in life, we don't project on an innocent person. Because if we're projecting our personal pain onto someone, you could be missing out on one of the greatest relationships of your life. And let me tell you what it's called. Bitterness. It's called bitterness. When I am protecting myself and I won't get hurt, let me tell you something. My senior pastor... After 28 years, had a moral failure. Do you know what that did to me? I stopped trusting everyone. And I boiled my relationships down to one person. And about a year and a half later, the Lord rebuked me. Why are you putting on everyone else what one person did to you? You see, we've got to be careful that we're not living in our little protective bubble with all of our assumptions and accusations that every human being is going to do to us what another human being did to us. It's not true. It's a lie from the enemy keeping you from one of your dearest relationships that could be right in front of you. So Phineas, he goes in with accusation. He goes in with assumption. But let's take a look at something because it takes two to tango. Would you pick it up with me in verse 21? So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods. They're shocked. They're overwhelmed. They can't believe this accusation. These assumptions are coming their way. He knows and let Israel itself know. If it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we build ourselves an altar, there's one of our problems, to turn from following the Lord, or if it is offering burnt offerings or grain offerings, or if it's to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. But in fact, we have done it for fear. Maybe you'll underline that. For reasons saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and children of Gad. You have no part in the Lord. So your descendants, they begin to blame, would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said, I've underlined that, Let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your descendants, there's the blame, 
may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here's the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifice. It's a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar of burnt offerings or grain offerings or sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. Wow. The Lord bless you. Take your riches. Take your wealth. And as they're going, they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River. All of a sudden, they develop an insecurity complex. You know why? The enemy lied to them. The enemy lied to them. Now you know your brothers are going to forsake you. You know that your brothers aren't going to have your back the way that you had their back. You know that you're going to be out here on your own. And the enemy began to whisper a lie to them. And that's all the enemy has to do. All the enemy has to do is drop one lie to the little five-year-old girl that goes walking into elementary school for the first time and a boy looks at her and goes, you're ugly. There's the lie. It got dropped. And then they start talking amongst themselves. That's what the Bible says. That's the deceit. Maybe I am ugly. Maybe I'll never have a husband. And that's 16 years old and now I'm struggling because I look in the mirror and all I see is ugly because the enemy planted a lie when I was five years old. And then what he does is he deceives us with that lie. You see, the truth of Scripture sets us free. You're made in the image of God. There ain't nothing ugly about you. And who the Son has set free, you are free indeed. But what the enemy does is he plants a lie. They start talking amongst themselves. And listen to this. They start believing their own story. I am ugly. I wish I was better looking. Maybe I need to lose more weight. Maybe I need to get a nose job. Maybe I need to cut my hair. Maybe I need to color my hair. And ladies, I'm sorry, but guys struggle with the very same thing. I wish I looked like that. I wish I looked like that. Well, maybe I need to work out more. Well, I can't work out. I'm old. Like, what's going on with this idea on Instagram that they're actually living the photo that they're telling the world? We raised, we raised a famous person's two children. We raised them. And I will never forget... As we were raising them, Time Magazine did an article of them at their home celebrating Christmas when they were Christmas at our house, and those pictures were taken in October when they had a weekend. And I looked at the picture, and I thought to myself, will Time Magazine report the amount of issues that are going on in this family? No, but everyone looked at the picture. Oh, look, ah." we did everything we could to keep the pictures from the kids, so that they wouldn't see how their family was being exploited with an image that wasn't true. You see, we've got to be careful of the lies that we believe. If I can only look like that, if I can only be like that, if I can only have that kind of family. They even blame the Lord. Well, the Lord made me look like this. Listen to what they say. They say, for the Lord put a border between us. 
they're blaming people. Your descendants might say that we're going to be separated from you. Let me tell you, they preferred to be the victim instead of be victorious. But let me tell you something about our faith. Our faith is the victory that overcomes the world. You get a choice. Are you going to live as a victim or are you going to live victoriously? (laughs) I'll never forget. Um, A girl came and she says, I think he wants to marry me. He does? Do you even know his name? No, but he held the door open for me. <laughs> he doesn't know your name. He held the Let me tell you what she did. Oh, he's cute. Is he opening the door for me? I knew he liked me. Now she's walking to the car. Oh, my goodness. I can't imagine what our wedding is going to be like. She gets in the car. The next Sunday, she comes in. He walks through the door, doesn't open it. She comes to me weeping. (gasps) He hurt my feelings. Does he even know your name? (laughs) We build these stories up in our mind when we listen to the lies of the enemy. But they also say, I want you to see this. Go back with me if you would. Look with me at verse 24. But in fact, we've done it for fear. They're afraid. In Hebrew, the statement reads this. We did it out of anxiety for a cause. We were afraid. And let me tell you, never make a decision when you're afraid. Never make a decision when you're anxious. The only thing that you should do when you're anxious is pray. Don't be anxious, but pray. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. The only thing that we should do when we're anxious is choose to pray. They didn't pray. And they operated in fear. And fear causes conflict. So the two of them, one has made assumptions and accusations, one has believed a lie and operating in fear. One is choosing to be a victim. Well, I know what your descendants will do, and I know what's going to happen to me, so I'm going to go ahead and predict my own future instead of trust the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding. Great misunderstanding is going to lead to great conflict. But let's finish it up here. Joshua chapter 22, would you take a look at verse 30? Now when Phinehas, the priest, and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel, who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased him. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh. I can just imagine, like, Phinehas at this point with his javelin. He's ready to do javelin ministry. And now he's kind of, like, putting it behind his back. Like, okay, we're cool, you know. (laughs) Sorry about that. Now listen, this day we perceive that the Lord is among us. Because you've not committed this treachery against the Lord, now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the rulers, returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the children of Israel, and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel, underline this, blessed God. They spoke no more going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it's a witness between us that the Lord is God. If you're taking note, this final point, great relationships will be zealous for great peace. 
despite misunderstanding. Great relationships will be zealous for great peace despite misunderstanding. That's why you're still married. Now, in one sense, you've got to give it up to them for their zeal. They were willing to die for God's honor. But can I tell you something? There were many crusaders who died for God's honor, and God had nothing to do with the crusades from Europe. Sometimes we can die on a hill that God would not die on. And that's why we've got to default the word of God. They chose to be obedient to God's word. They sent leaders, and defaulting God's word protected them from war. And what I love about them, they weren't going to fight each other. They're now fighting for relationship. And let me tell you why. Because when there was resolution, what did the Bible say? It blessed God. Not this. Not this. The hard work of fighting for a relationship blessed God. Is your marriage worth it? Is your sister worth it? According to God, she is. Is your friend worth it? It blesses God when we resolve. And what's amazing to me, if you just take a look there at verse 30 for just a moment, when they heard the words, in that statement is a key to gaining understanding when there's misunderstanding. We need to listen. We can't go in with our assumptions and our accusations. We can't go in with fear and trepidation. We've got to go in with a heart to listen. And so before I close, I want you to take a look at the screen. There's five things that will help us listen when we have a misunderstanding. Listen, marital couple. Avoid interrupting. Just breathe. Just breathe. And you know that you're an interrupter when they take a pause and you inject something. But if you can take a breath when there's a pause, you're not interrupting. Avoid interrupting. Listen without judgment. Go into it not having to be right. You may be wrong like Phineas was. Choosing to listen, paraphrase, and summarize for clarity. I'm from the Bahamas. Andrea is from Detroit. Let me tell you, when you ask a Bahamian, how are you? The way we say is, you good? You know how we respond? With our geography, right here. We respond with our, right here, right here, man. Andrea, listen to me. When I said right here, she goes, right where? Like, what are you talking about? Some, in, in the Bahamas, when we point to something, we say, bring the tingham. Well, every Bahamian knows what a tingham is. It don't matter what kind of tingham it is. Andrea would be like, what's a tingham? What, are you pointing to the spoon, to the fork? You should know my heart. Bring the tingham. You've got to paraphrase, summarize for clarity. Excuse me, Chet, what is a tingham? 
And do you know that tinghams change with every context of every sentence? One day, tingham can mean a fork. Another tingham can be a spoon. One day, a tingham can be carpet. Another tingham can be, you can be, a, a tingham can be a bowl and a tingham can bring the car. So you've got to make sure there's understanding. Number four, model positive nonverbal behavior. Okay, let me tell you something. Wives, okay, this doesn't work with a husband. <sighs> really? All right, and husbands, this don't work with a wife. And your little puff of vanilla comes out, right? Okay. No, it doesn't work. Nonverbal, positive, back and forth, it actually looks like you care, like you're in the conversation. And then ask specific, open ended questions that lead to understanding, like, Tell me more about what you're trying to communicate. Well, how did I make you feel when I said that? And they go, well, you really hurt my feelings. Well, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Okay, go back to rule number one, okay? (laughs) Hey, gang, the Bible just gave us a secret when we have misunderstanding. When they heard... Maybe we need to become better listeners at Calvary Chapel South Bay. Amen. God bless you guys. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the word. Thank you for Joshua 22. And I pray, Lord, for every marriage. I pray for every relationship. I pray, God, that you would move and you would restore even tonight. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.